Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast. And we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division Three coaches, some great high school football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. So please contribute to the show as much as you can. Our football development model, which is something we've rolled out here at USA Football, and this is really for you to be able to help your youth football programs develop. It's about a long-term athlete development plan, something that comes off of the American development model, which is something that the USOC has put together. The idea is that we're able to teach skills in a progression starting at the youngest ages. We're also looking at the different game types we have, whether that's flag, which is non-contact, limited contact games like padded flag or tackle bar and full contact and the right progressions for contact teaching there as well. Be sure to check out all we do at footballdevelopment.com and check out what we're doing with the FDM, the football development model at usafootball.com backslash FDM. On this episode of Coaching Coordinator, we go to a part two with Nick Davis, the defensive coordinator at Rolls-Holman Institute of Technology in Terre Haute, Indiana, on how he handles the back end. So, Coach Davis, great to have you here again, and I appreciate you sharing the structure you put together for your defense. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, since the last podcast about the kind of the front end things, uh, had a lot of coaches reach out, either email or text or, or Twitter, and ask me, well, how's the back end work? So uh, I'm excited to you know talk to you guys about the back end of how our structure works today. So for those of you who didn't listen to part one, which was how they handle all their fronts, how they get into, I think we talked about two, three, four, five, and six man fronts, as well as all the movements and pressures out of that. Uh, this is a system that coach has been uh, very creative and very organized with, and he's He's structured everything in a way that is it is easily learned by the players, but because it is organized in a way where it's easily learned, it also can be very complex for an offense to handle. Coach, if you would, again, just share that overview of the concept of how you put this together. Yeah, so really for us, just briefly about the fronts, every front had its categories. So three down were birds, so different types of birds were three down fronts for us. The fish were a different four-down type of fronts for us. We had vegetables and spices, which were different types of five-down fronts for us. And then we had um, fruits, which were different six-down fronts. And then within that, the number of letters in each word told everyone kind of their blitz path and then what letters those were. So three letters for us told our defensive ends at the end of the play, no matter where they lined up, they need to be B-gap players. And then if that word had a M, that meant our mic was going. If that word had a B, it meant our Bob was going. If it had a W, it meant our Will was going. If that word had all three, it meant all three of those guys were going. So that's kind of a brief overview of kind of part one. I think that was an hour. If you're interested in that, I suggest going back and listening to it. And then this will kind of tie into what we do on the back end. Coach, what I liked about this, too, is within the structure, you allowed the flexibility for adjustment. Um, And as an example, I thought one of the the brilliant things you did was you had the ability very easily to set the front in different ways. I think you, you mentioned four different ways that you guys were able to set the front, where a lot of teams, that's a little bit more static for them. And I could tell you being on the other side of things, if I can figure out how you're going to set the front, I'm actually ahead of you in the game. I have the chalk now, and I can do something with that. So talk to us about just the concept of building in that ability to adjust and be flexible. 
Yeah, and we got to this because we kind of got our, our butts kicked one game. And I had a certain our Bob linebacker was the best player on our team, and I always wanted to set that guy to the tailback. So we went into a game, and they just didn't block him and, and read him. And they ran away from the whole entire game. And we were a, a squeezed team, and we didn't really have a, a way to chase the dive at that point. So I'm kicking myself in the game. Like, I wish I would have put him away from the tailback because then he would have been a factor the whole game. So just briefly, we have ways to set it our front to the tailback, away from the tailback. We have ways to set our front to a tight end, away from a tight end. We have it, um, you know, and, and this is really based on matchups in the pass game, a way to set it to the right, a way to set it to the left. So those are kind of our four base ways we can do things and we can set it to a person, away from a person, set it right, left, generally in our four down. And then we can, what we evolved to in the last few years is we're able to do that out of our stack as well. We're not always going to be a field boundary stack defense. We're going to move our stack and we're going to try to create as much matchup problems as possible. Coach, the other important thing I think what you've done here is the way you've, you've used language. I really believe in, in looking at how we work together at the different places I've been to be very conscientious about terminology and the words we use, not just for making sure that we're very clear in the meaning, but also in that uh, there's some word association and there's ways that things happen that that becomes actually t- part of our teaching and the way we coach it as well. Talk to us about that aspect of the system. Yeah, I think the best thing is, you know, you go look at Nick Saban's defense. He's one of the best coaches in the world, right? And, and there's tons of his playbooks out there. And you're going through and you're trying to read it. And there's no – I can't find a rhyme or reason. I think there probably is. But I've heard a lot of things where you just had to memorize it. And at Alabama, they have way more time for their players to memorize their 300-page playbook than what I do at our school because we're a high academic engineering school. At the end of the day, the kids are more interested in differential equations and physics three than what they are necessarily in my playbook, the grand scheme of things. So – I've tried to create a system where a kid with a 12 ACT kid could thrive. And then when my kids with 25, 30, 36 ACTs get into the system, well, then they can really thrive and uh, do a lot of different things. So we've tried to, from a bottom top um, philosophy, try to create a system where it's just easy and the kids can play super fast. Um, We don't signal more than really four things ever. We'll yell in our front, we'll signal movement, we'll signal coverage, and we just want to line up really fast, have word association be a huge part of everything we do, and teach that to our kids, teach them in four or five days the whole word association playbook, and then from there, we're able to add things in the middle of a game or in the middle of the seasons because our kids understand, you know, these are our rules and we're never going to break these rules. So, Coach, let's get into the details then of how the back end of this system works, and I'll let you start it off here with the, the basis or the beginning of, of what you start to teach with. Yeah, so, and, and we lucked into this a little bit. I had a DB coach, Scotty Cole, who's now at Alma. He, you know, he was a big, because he's DB guy, big, too high shell everything, no matter what. So we went through that whole first year, and we played a lot of cover one. So we were rotating late down or, or early in the cadence, playing some cover three, rotating on the snap. Everything we did was from a two-high shell. Watching those off-season cut-ups, I was frustrated. I'm like, we're playing cover one or middle field close defense about 60% of the time. Why are we doing this? Why don't we just get in the right position to begin with? So that next year, we were really – all one high and then if we needed to get into a two high coverage we would start from a two high shell so that next year was based on what type of coverage structure it was well off-season cut-ups were watching and i'm like man how can we get disguised so we came up with words to disguise different things but then we found out our you know those kids weren't always doing that in the right situation it may be first and 10 and they're they're messing around and they don't get in the right spot so what we came back as a coaching staff was in really everyone's defense, you have a one high, a two high, and a three high shell, or that's kind of what football's going to right now. So we'll signal in with our coverage what shell 
we want to be in. So I think that's one of the best things we've done in the last few years. So with our signal, if it's one-handed, we'll be in a one-high shell. If it's a two-handed signal, it'll be a two-high shell. And then we'll go two hands and a knee up, which will be a three-high shell. So our disguise is signaled in also with our coverage. Now, for certain coverages like cover one, why the quarterbacks in his cadence will rotate to whatever, wherever we need to be because we don't want to be rotating down on the snap. If it were to be a cover three and we signaled in a three-high shell, we'll drop down to wherever we need to be in our zone responsibilities on the snap. If we're playing quarters and we want to line up in a one-high shell, then our guys, as that quarterback gets in the cadence, are going to get to where they need to be to be able to play the certain coverages. So that's something that we've got into over the last two years, which I've really liked because we've incorporated our shell within our coverage signal and everyone in our back end kind of on the same page. I love that, Coach. The, the disguise, I feel, is so important. I want to, I guess, pause and ask, ask you a couple questions on that aspect of it. I know I'm able to see in breaking down film, and this has been true uh, both for the work I've been doing at the high school level here recently, but as well as what we used to do at BW, is that even though teams are disguising, there were a lot of indicators that we could find. And in and, and most teams, it's at least with the way coverages are played right now, it's the boundary safety who gives away a lot. I would say for most, probably 75, at least 75 to 80% of the teams that I would break down, we'd find it there. And a lot had to do with understanding what his initial alignment was because he was cheating you know if he needed to get out over the top and play play over the top of the corner because they're running a half coverage over there you you might see him cheat outside the hash a couple yards if he was rolling to the middle you might see him cheat in if he was covering down for uh, a blitzer you might see him changed up by a couple yards and I know there's the limitations that you know uh, so much of, of what an athlete can do that you don't want him out of position but how do you coach your kids up on the disguise aspect of it? Yeah, so really the biggest thing for me is I just want to disguise all or design all of our coverages based off of how we're going to align in that one high, two high, or three high shell. Yes, I think there's a little bit of trying to fool the receivers and the quarterback. But uh, and, I, and I heard this, too, on a podcast here with uh, Illinois Wesleyan that he's not trying to – fool the QB, he's trying to make sure the quarterback doesn't check into a one-high, two-high, three-high beater. So I think that's something that hearing that, I'm like, yeah, that's my philosophy, but I never thought of that until I heard that. So I think that's, that's kind of what where we're at. But I want, if we're a two-high and we're playing cover one, um, if someone's given the disguise away uh, because they were a little antsy, everyone unfold because we're not tricking anyone at that point. But if a ball snapped, then we will play at a disadvantage um, based on our coverage shell to keep the disguise. So if we're playing cover one and my alignment for my boundary safety is over that tackle, he's going to chill for his run pass read a little bit before he works to the middle of the field to post. So he understands that, that maybe in this situation we're too high. Coach Davis thinks it's going to be a run. And then at the end of the day, we're playing cover one, and I'm a post player. So I'm really a bonus guy up top. I have some time to get there um, rather than if we start in a one high and he's already in the middle of the field. So we'll try to teach our defensive backs essentially, hey, here you, know, here you need to be urgent to get to your spot. Here you have some time. So I think within your coverage, make those coverages adapt to what you want to do within a disguise shell. Like maybe you need to have your corner play outside in a certain technique to funnel them your guy where traditionally that coverage may be an inside concept uh, so those are things that we've taken in consideration and we want everything to fit when we're in our one high shell we want to make it look like it's cover one when we're in our two high shell we want to make it look like it's quarters or uh, cover two and then we talk a lot about the indicator from the quarterback um, is he a his mouthpiece is out now he's put his mouthpiece in now let's change leverages if I have because our overhang is always going to be outside leverage. So maybe he was outside leverage. He saw the quarterback talk, and now he's put his mouthpiece in. Now he's uh, sugared inside to play his concept, or our corners have done the same thing. So everything in one high should look exactly the same for our guys, and we'll talk about it every single day. 
and then everything too high should look the exact same. And then when we get in our three high things, everyone knows exactly where to go. And then obviously I've talked to them like, hey, this is the man coverage. We need to get to our spots before the ball snapped, whether we were too high or three high. We need to get into one high defense before the ball snapped. Oh, this is a cover three, a zone concept. We can hit it on the snap. Well, it's all the the game within the game. So much happening there pre-snap, but I love that there's a system for that because I think, you know, you you can leave that undercoached and give away too much or expose yourself by being in in the wrong place. And for our listeners, the podcast mentioned before was Brant Caserta, defensive coordinator at Illinois Wesleyan. He talked exactly about that, and we'll include that a link to that in our show notes as well. So coach, moving on from all that's happening pre-snap with uh, disguise on the back end, now into your different types of coverages. I'll let you take it from there. Just quickly, I'll just talk about we've had some tags or different coverages because nothing's worse than maybe I called one high cover one and it's third and 25 and our kids are all pressed across the board and they throw a fade and pick it up. So we will tag like off coverage across the board. Maybe it's third and two and we're playing cover one defense. I will tag press. So everyone across the board presses. And then the last thing, maybe it's, you know, third and 15. We'll tag sticks. So everyone plays two yards. Their defense two yards above the sticks. So we could play zone or man defense, but all of our DBs will kind of play that five across defense. So those are kind of three things that can get us. I don't otherwise tell a kid you have to press or you have to play off. It's kind of in their toolbox based on what they feel best and their ability. But then in certain situations, I'll say, hey, no matter what, if you're awesome at press, the situation, hey, play off. Because what I found is if you say, hey, kids know the situation, there's a lot of times your defensive backs may not know it's third and 25. They may know it's third down, but they may not know the sticks, especially against these tempo offenses. You know, you as a coach hope that they do, and we have a a player on our defense in each level to kind of tell everyone what the situation is. But I think that's the reality is you'll watch film on Sunday, and if you ask, a lot of times those kids don't know the down and distance on every single snap. You know, they have a an estimate, but it's third and five, and they're playing at seven yards, and they throw a hitch, and we tackle it. It's a, you know, it's a first down a lot of the time. So that's kind of three things that we got where I can control it as a coach what we get. But just starting with our coverage families, we use states and then cities as adjustments. So for us, our cover zero, our six-man rush where everyone is playing man across the board, um, we call that um, Michigan. Then within Michigan, different cities can be different adjustments for us. So Grand Rapids has a G, has an R. So our linebackers will go six guys line a scrimmage. They'll read their gaps. They do a gap read. If they have an open gap, everyone's going to take it. All right. If their gap is closed, our linebackers, then we drop. So on a certain coverage, we could have a, a three-man drop, a two-man drop, a one-man drop, but we're going to play cover zero across the board. So that's just an example of our cover zero. If we want to bring a certain DB, that would be a, a different letter. If, if I could if I could pause there for a second, Coach, on the, on the gap read, because I really like that. But, again, probably some coaching points that go along with it. For your guys, how do you coach them up on that gap being opened or not? So one thing that we really talk about is we'll have our guys get into three-point stance, even our linebackers, because our kids generally are anywhere from 5'10 to 6'3. Um, our D-linemen are linebackers anywhere from – 190 pounds to 240 you know we're not the biggest guys in the world so a lot of times our linebackers will look similar to our defensive linemen Um, now everyone wants to have cool fresh numbers on the d linemen so a lot of times our linebackers have the old traditional d line numbers in the 50s or whatever so uh i think it's important that sometimes offensive linemen are told to cut loose a certain player when you have your six down if you're not going to full slide it So we'll all get down in three-point stance. And I think the coaching point is to get two vertical steps upfield and just watch your gap. If it's open, all right, especially if it's empty, we really like this and empty, go affect the game, go hit the quarterback. If you take two vertical steps upfield and you feel like you're going to get blocked, 
Well, at the end of the day, when we're playing our Michigan, our, our man coverage, everyone's getting in man drop because the quarterback's probably going to get rid of the football. So that's been really good for us because we've at least got an empty one free hitter. Sometimes the O-line picks wrong and there's two or three free hitters. And then we are able, because of our system, to get our linebackers wherever we want. We're a 3-3 personnel, so I could get my linebackers in three spots where I think they'll get blocked if it's a full slide. And then I have three extra underneath defenders, and we'll get our, our five technique hitting the QB. So that's kind of game plan-ish. Uh, do I think they're a full slide? Do I think they're going to let one of my linebackers um, through and empty? We'll also do this in with the tailback in the backfield. So that's kind of the big coaching point for those guys. We got into a game the last week of the season where we had all six guys do that read where they all went two steps and then we dropped out. So we ended up with a one-man rush and five bonus guys. We taught our defense alignment at that point that they were quarterback spy players and the linebackers then would stay in the coverage. Um, so that was a different city for us that week, telling us that all six guys in the box were gap read techniques. Well, I appreciate the detail on that answer, and I'm sorry if I, I threw you off there, but go ahead and continue then with your coverage structure. Yeah, so that's essentially how we handle every coverage. Um, like cover one for us was Bama, Alabama, which meant there was five guys rushing. Everyone was going to play their, their man coverage rules. Then within that, if we wanted to add a sixth guy and flare control the tailback, that was a certain city in Alabama. If we wanted to blitz a DB, that was a certain city in Alabama. And uh, not going to give it all away, but we like to keep those cities across our coverage structure. That first letter, kind of like everything we do, word association. So if a city had a T in it, that was all flare control the tailback coverage, um, for example. If that city had a W in it, maybe that was blitzing our will for some reason. So, uh, those are things that we look at as we go through all of our coverage structure that maybe if we're an eight-man coverage within all of our coverage family, that city or that first letter is going to tell everyone that this is a drop eight coverage. Does that make sense, Keith? And then as we go through, um, Texas and Tennessee are cover two and our cover three families because we say Texas starts with a T. Uh, two and the word three start with T. So just more word associations within those families. If we want to do certain things, then we word association that with a city within those states. Sometimes we have to be super creative. So we'll show a map of this is Arlington. It is in Texas and we'll show a map physically. We're kind of blessed that on our roster, we have kids over the last nine years from 38 different states. So I'll try to put our states and incorporate them with actually places we have on our roster. So at least the one kid from Dallas knows where Arlington is and he can verify it and stand up and say, yep, Arlington is in Texas, guys. Because you always run into like a kid from Washington, D.C. area that knows Arlington and that area. So that's some problems we run into, but we just make those kids memorize it and we'll show a picture of where Arlington, Texas is. And uh, if Arlington, Texas is known for something, that's how we have our coverage, uh, our signal associated with that coverage. Then we'll go through in our, our man match, our Ohio coverage. Coach, talk to us a little bit about something like man match. What is that for you? Yeah, so our man match coverage is our Ohio family. And then with that, some people are always asked, how do you play, you know, mesh and some different things well i allow our linebackers within our man match coverage to kind of determine based on what front they're seeing or excuse me what formation they're seeing to play what type of man match coverage we want so we have a lot of different um, varieties of man match coverage but our linebackers so think of this as a quarters idea where you have your quarters safeties calling the split field coverages well, in our man-match defense, we'll have our linebackers based on splits call different adjustments. Do we think that two and number two receiver on the field and the boundary side are super close and we're going to get mesh? So our linebackers within our man-match family will call the best concept that we can handle mesh from. Do we think just on one side we have a reduced split and that side the tailback? Well, now we're getting that NCAA route with the drive and the dig. So our linebackers will make the adjustment to play 
what we feel is the best version of our man match versus that. As everyone's super wide, um, then our linebackers will make a check and we'll play our plug defense where we'll play a hole and a guy that's got the tailback in man. So within our four-man rush, man match, cover one defense, our linebackers are making checks on pre-snap on every play and getting us in the right. Because I got super frustrated where I would call in, hey, let's run a one-hole defense. And now it's mesh, and it's really, you know, we can defend it and we'll practice it, but I would rather let the mesh routes cross in our cover one version than playing a whole defense and have to communicate three different times. Uh, Or, hey, I thought they were going to cross, so we called our match defense, and now the running back's running a wheel and we weren't, our linebackers weren't in the best matchup for those guys. So I came up with a system after the end of the year was, well, generally you're going to know an under by a split, and generally you might know that there's an underneath route by where the tailback is and the relationship between the tailback and the most inside receiver. So instead of me trying to predict that, because that's hardly going to happen unless I'm calling my coverage late once I've seen the formation, let me have the players out on the field get me the right spot, just like a quarter safety's would in a split field defense. Yeah, I, I love that concept. And it was something really, as we, when I took over as offensive coordinator at BW, we, we had some young players. We had a new system in. We took the burden of, of calling, you know, a lot of the plays from the line of scrimmage. So false cadence, look over, we'll let you know what you're running. And we, we operated probably that first year 70% of the time. Now, what I was worried about was, when defenses would start looking over and it really didn't happen for a year and a half. And we had some tools to combat that, but eventually we got to that exact point, exactly what you said, instead of me trying to predict this or me trying to call it and then having you change it. I just have one guy who needs to know a few things and the receivers or alignment or whatever, they have some, uh, a couple, you know, keywords they could, they could shout out and share. And now that, adjustment can be made out there on the field and what it does really is it prevents you as a defensive guy from having your guys look over when we look over and I think I think adjustments are probably handled and executed best is when you can teach your players to do it themselves out on the field rather than as you said trying to be Nostradamus and predicting everything that you think is going to happen in the future. No and I think as a coordinator, that's something I've learned over the last few years is you may have your best blitz if, for power. What are the odds, you know, even if they had a huge 55%, you know, 11 personnel, they're going to run a power scheme. What are the odds that when they call that and you call it, it matches up? I'm going back through our last five years, the most efficient plays, and not one time, did I call our best power blitz in a normal situation versus power? Like, so I'm going back thinking, you know, maybe we just want calls that are good against as much as possible. Now, obviously their zone and power are different, but I'm trying to think of what are our most efficient calls that I can call that are good against multiple schemes rather than trying to scheme up power blitz and not counter the other direction. And now it goes for 40 because I tried to scheme up something that had a pretty decent tendency, but still in the grand scheme of things, 55% isn't, you know, a hundred percent tendency. So those are things that I've learned over the last, you know, few years as a coordinator is, man, yeah, you go to a clinic and that you're on the board and that guy draws up power and you draw your best power stopper. When in a game, are you really actually getting both of those exactly? I think what you see a lot of times, too, when there is that big play, sometimes it was just the right call, you know, and it's hard to predict. I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, you know, we've been sitting in a room and looking at film and say, you know, he called exactly the right thing for that situation. But it's fewer of that. I mean, it's the big plays. You'll see it, and those will be glaring, and those make a difference in the game. But you know, it, to me, it's it's how do you be more sound? I think we got a, you know, for us on the offensive side of the ball, we got that way with our passing game. Instead of always trying to, we had some indicators for coverages, and we had some things that 
you know, if we see this certain thing, this is the simple check you guys will do. So it might be from going from a straight four vert where everybody's running their landmarks to a switch four vert where now they're able to open up space against and make it a good play against even something like quarters, right? So again, instead of, you know, always canning the play or whatever, what can we do within that concept? Because we like that concept in the situation to keep it going with a few adjustments. And I think that's essentially what you've done on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, no, we want to make, and we're like doing some things with our cover one that I think somewhat unique. I had a defensive coordinator contact me and he's like, it looks like you're playing, you know, quarters to one side and cover one concepts to the other. And I said, that's just kind of all built into our man match cover one. And our DBs will make the adjustments that same adjustments that we're going to use in our split field concepts that are without a linebacker that we can use now in our cover one defense if the splits are close. Because if one and two are on top of each other, there's no reason for you to play a straight cover one. They're probably are going to change um, leverages and you're going to get one guy going in and one guy going out or a switch vertical. So you shouldn't play a straight press cover one defense. You should back off and you should play more of a quarters man match concept. So we're doing some unique things, I think, on that regard, that then it helps us when we're playing our split field coverages. It's the same terminology across the board. Well, Coach, that then takes us to making this practical on game day. So as you've described this, and as we look at the, the whole structure, what you're able to do up front, what you're able to do in your pressures, how you're able to adjust to different fronts, how you're able to adjust and line up and play different things on the back end, you guys have... Um, what looks like an immense menu. And when you set up, I think when you set up a structure on any side of the ball, if you do it right, you build so that you can be what you need to be, so that you can have answers without every week saying, oh, we got to adjust this, scheme it up. No, we have that in our system. Here's here's what we're going to focus on a little bit this weekend. And obviously, I think you try to put that all in in August. So let's Talk about that, the install, and taking this from something that's that's pretty big in August and then week to week being able to carry something that's very uh, succinct and provides you the answers at the same time. Yeah, so we'll go pretty quick with our install in August. Uh, we'll do between four and five days, and I try to match up with the number of rushers. So our first day install is three down front um, with three and four rush. Uh, guys rushing the, the quarterback, and we'll play our basic man-match defense. Then day two we'll go and we'll be all of our four-down fronts with all of our four-down stunts, and we will play a our split-field coverage defense. Day three for us, we will get into our two and three-and-a-half, what we call down fronts, which kind of mirror what we do from a four-down and a three-down, so it's pretty similar. So that's not a heavy install for the the box guys and now we'll play our uh cover two and cover three defense that day day four we'll come in and now we'll get into five down fronts and we'll run all of our five man rush coverages and then day five we'll come in and we'll do all of our six down fronts and we'll do all of our six man rush coverages we get all that in in the first five days and are we the most thorough we can be? Or are we going to see everything? No. But at that point, our kids all know the system. So there's going to be things that may not happen or we may not need until week six. But they're all installed. The kids understand the system. And then in that five days, I've kind of figured out who's really good at doing this. And we kind of go from there. Generally, our offense is a five to eight-day install, and probably more towards the end of it, just they have a lot of things. So now for the next two weeks, we're able to do all of our stuff every single day, and we're able to see what we're really good at in terms of that. And then I bring it into the game plan. I have a matrix. I think we can do like 500 different things. Are we going to try to do 500 things in a game? No. So we'll come in. We'll be like, what fronts do we like this week? Okay. How do we want to set our front? Perfect. Who's their weak link? All right. That's how we can get a great matchup. What type of rushes do we want to do? What is our blitz pattern? What gives them problems? What are we really good at? And then we'll, what coverages are best against this team? So really all of our front and our movements are divorced from our coverages. 
There are certain things that work better. If you're playing man, I can do whatever we want in our box with our movements. And because at the end of the play, we're playing man. When we start playing zone and some split field coverages, there's certain linebackers I like to bring out of the stack because now it's a disadvantage for this other linebacker to get to his coverage responsibility. So we are somewhat limited to there, but at the end of the day, we can do whatever um, we want in terms of that. So then it starts watching the film. Okay, this team, I think, we're, you know, we're going to play man every single game, our cover one man match defense. That's going to be, you know, we're going to play that. But what also gives this team struggles? Well, maybe it's cover two, and maybe we haven't played it in, in four weeks. So what we'll do is I'll put on my game plan, hey, I really like our Falcon bike, and I like – our man match, I like cover two, I like cover three. So that's what my call sheet looks like. When we practice during the week, and I think I talked about this a little bit last podcast, but if I didn't, I'll just go over it quickly. Our, uh, our one defense will run a play, all right? The scout offense, say it was zone to the left. Everyone pursues that tailback. They tag off. They get a break. The scout offense comes back, and we say, Carbon, run that same exact play again as the two defenses running on the, out on the field. The two is getting my signal, all right? They get stretched to the left. They go and pursue. We, we've got rid of all of our pursuit drills because in scout we're pursuing to the football in every single play, and it's being filmed. So our two group will then pursue to the football. At that point, we're getting the scout team, the new play. We use all the offensive terminology. If we had go route, this would be a little easier. We don't, but we have everyone terminology. The O-line, we use the offensive line code word. If it's not something that our offense does, then we would uh, – offensive line does, then we would draw it up and show it quickly to the offensive lineman. We're in a good situation that we have a lot of scout kids. So, generally, those scout receivers run a play two times in a row, and then we have a new group of scout receivers out there running the play and uh, a new quarterback on the system. So, then our ones come back. So, we'll go ones, twos, ones, twos. So if we're going 40 reps of scout, we're getting reps 40 with our ones and 40 with our twos. If we have some threes with us, then maybe the twos are getting 20, some 25 plays, and we'll get those threes in when the two group go. So this allows me as a coordinator also to be able to run Falcon bike, our man match with the one group, and then I can go Falcon bike Tennessee with our second group. And then when we come back and we see that play maybe again, I'll play cover two with our ones and cover one with our twos. So now I can see our defense and then multiple coverages. I really like that when we do third down because I'm able to do my number one third down call and my number two third down call. And then when we come back to a similar concept, like a drop back pass, I'll have my ones run the number two call and my twos run the number one call. So we're able to practice all of this over three days and get a lot of quality reps. As the coordinator, I'm sitting there making a decision where I thought this was our number one call, but I like call two better to this. Yeah, Coach, that's exactly it. That ability to be able to work all the different things you're going to need to work against them. You mentioned go route. We had Kansas State offensive quality control guy on Drew Little talking about how efficient it runs for their practice. And I was thinking about that exact thing as I was watching some XFL games. And I thought, you know, it was pretty, pretty neat how they're able to line up and all five of their guys, you know, the, the moving parts, right? Those, those guys who were receivers, they're going and getting lined up. The offensive line is turned around and getting the call they need from the quarterback and lining up. Now, if I had go route, maybe I, I, I was like being creative. If I was a high school guy or even small college guy, I basically need, four or five of those units which is great because initially they were selling them as like a team set right you had to buy the whole set now you can actually buy what you need and build on it so I could get four to five of those things my receivers can immediately line up and do what they need to do because they're seeing it I could have somebody hustle in to show the O-line real quick since they're already together and they're not scattering to different places and we could still operate that with that efficiency. So the tools of t today, what we can use in, in practice is amazing. I love that kind of technology. The other thing, though, is that 
you've set it up in a way with this structure, whether you have a go route or just the way you're doing it right now, that it's very efficient. And I like that you are working, as you said, both your number one calls and your two calls. No, I think that's, that's huge for us because it just allows me to see, hey, this is what I thought our best call was against four verts, but I really like what our number two call is um, because both our ones and our twos seem to be better against four verts in that second call than what they are in our number one call. And kind of the way we practice has allowed us to have two years ago, we had two senior linebackers that had never started a game for us, but they'd been in our system with our varsity practicing for three years and they stepped in and it was without a hitch because they were getting every single rep that our starters were getting. They just weren't playing on Saturday as much as what the starting kids were playing. And, you know, one of the smartest kids that ever come through the system, Carter Houndshell, he was that kid. He, he didn't get his chance to start until his senior year, but he had repped the defense and he knew the defense just as well as me because he had got reps Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, in practice just as much as what the starter kids did. Let's let's take it then to the game, right? So during the game, we've already talked about this. It's not necessarily about trying to always predict, right? Things are going to happen as maybe they aren't planned. They might fan, find an advantage in their personnel. They might find a weakness in yours and start attacking that, hammering it. But basically now, even though you might not have practiced some of these things, you do have the ability to adjust very easily because you have this structure. Yeah, no, so... One thing that we started doing was an offense will script their first 10 plays, um, and they're scripting against my big tendency. Well, my big tendency is I'm going to get in a three and a four down front. I'm going to bring a fourth rusher, and we're going to play a cover one man match defense. Um, if you're looking at that tendency and you're scripting 10 plays off of that, um, then I'm not in a great situation. You're probably going to come down the field and score on me because you're setting up your best plays against what my tendency is. So we started doing the, you know, we started scripting as a defense. Well, in my first 10 calls, I want to be in maybe four different types of front families. I want to bring different types of rushers that we normally wouldn't. And then I want to play three or four different types of coverages. So if you schemed against, you know, running um, slot fade, you know, on four of your first 10 plays, well, I'm going to be in a call that's going to be pretty good that necessarily wouldn't have been if you thought I was going to play man match at the first 10 plays of the game. So those are things that we've done to help um, our tendencies um, by scripting. And then maybe the third quarter happens and we'll run back through that, that script again. And then uh, we're able to, because we got some different things within our first 10 plays, now our kids have been exposed to those different coverages, those different fronts, those different movements that we're going to run within that week. And then we're able to change. You know, we went in the game this year where we had we had planned to play a lot of cover one. The weather was really terrible in this part of the country. And we ended up playing 75% cover three on that certain day. We had it in the plan. Our kids had repped it. But I let the situation of the game kind of dictate rather than, hey, let's just line up and play cover one when it's hard to throw out here. Let's have everyone's vision on the QB. So, Coach, as we're sitting in this time where everybody is being forced to press pause on not just football, but life, a lot of people sitting around looking at things they do, and maybe this structure makes a lot of sense to them to look at how they put together their terminology. I guess, number one, what's the best way for a coach to get started with this, thinking about the process you went through? And then I'll have a a follow-up on that as well. Yeah, and and I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, my system works for everyone, and everyone has to overhaul what they do, but but figure out what you're good at, and then from there, try to figure out a system. You know, maybe it's not birds and fishes. Maybe it's cars. Maybe it's um, weapons. um, You know, maybe it's not word association. Maybe it's colors and different things, but just try to figure out um, every year – I try to strive and make our playbook as easy for a freshman. I don't think about that senior that knows it all because that kid's going to be able to adapt really quickly. I think about that freshman kid that is from Ocean Springs, Mississippi, that we think is a really good football player. And, um, and I think this has allowed me to become a better coach. How am I going to get him this information? We'll do audio playbooks and different things. But how am I going to make, when I give him my audio playbook, 
and I send it to him in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, how is he going to get this? Does it make sense to him? So that's things that we've done over the last few years that has allowed us to just really get ahead of the curve. And we've been able to play a lot more freshmen than typically um, you'd think because our kids get the system. And um, I don't think you have to overhaul everything you do, but figure out what's best for your kids and just think about that freshman, if you're a high school coach, that 14-year-old, what would make sense to him? Um, and I think the high school guys are maybe ahead of the curve because a lot of them are teachers. What is, you know, you teach to the worst kid in your class that is academically probably the worst student, and if you can get through to that kid, then everyone else in the class you're going to be able to get through. So those are things that I think about. Is I, I pick that kid with the, probably the worst football knowledge on the team, and I, I want to make it that – he can excel in our playbook. So as you've looked at this and, you know, there's always a learning curve to it. You always find some efficiencies with doing it. What maybe were some of the things that you stumbled upon as far as the learning, the teaching of this, and then what you've evolved to as best methods? I mean, you mentioned one as an example of, of uh, the word association with the states and, and kids being from all over and trying to, you know, have that guy give them something solid to think of, something that's very tangible to them. But, you know, in that regard, I guess anything you might have stumbled over and what's the best practices now? Yeah, no, I found that probably the worst person in the system each year is me because I'm using things that we did six years ago that um, Falcon meant something completely different six years ago. But over the last few years, the way we've changed our system now, Falcon means this. So kids all the time will be like, Coach Davis, did you say ox? Well, ox is what we called Falcon five years ago. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I did. But to help the kids, we do Google Doc tests. We do a lot of movement on cans. We'll have everyone in our system. We'll do install tests. So it'll be install one. It'll be 20 questions. And we'll have the D-line have to answer questions about linebackers and defensive back play. Are they always going to get those questions right? No. But if your D-lineman can get 100% on an install one test that talked about defensive line play, linebacker play, and DB, like that kid, if he's not your best player, that shows me that he cares. And maybe he needs to be a kid that we start getting in the rotation because you can do some really cool different things. So we try to challenge our kids. You know, don't think that you're the Bob linebacker. You're a Rose Holman defensive player, and we're a positionless defense. And if you know everything – um, then we can find a role for you if you do something great. Um, if you do something, you know, pretty decent and you know everything, we can find a role for you. Um, if you don't know anything other than your position and you're a very average football player, chances are you're going to move down the depth chart for us. So we, we love the Google quizzes. Um, day one, I'll post what the results were from the summer, and you'll see. And generally, I think last year, our 11 starters – coming into the year, kind of who we had penciled in, had the 11 best scores. The freshman kid that wanted that weightlifting program in, in May and was bothering you all summer got a 35 out of 100. Did that kid really, you know, did he just want to make it appear that he wanted to be great? Or did he take the opportunity to be great? He, You know, he didn't. And it's good to kind of, you know, call some kids out. And are there seniors that didn't take it seriously? Well, the whole team's going to see, you know, who knows what's going on and who doesn't know what's going on. And I think that we had a DB that was pretty good. That was a reality check that he was 100% on the DB questions, but he didn't care about the linebacker and the D-line stuff. And the linebackers and the D-line kind of gave him a hard time about it. Like, hey, man, how are we going to be a great defense if you don't know everything? So a couple things come to mind. The you're right. The, the coaches probably struggle a little bit because we've created something where we attached terminology or meaning from before. Our players are coming in and learning it fresh, and they don't have those things that uh, they remember from the past. But we had to make it a, a key point as we move forward with you know, the new terminology we put together. And we overhauled things, I think it was around 2010. We overhauled some things, and we had to be vigilant with ourselves. So where it was, you know, a number system prior to that, and we were saying 46, 47, we, we wanted to kill that because we didn't talk that way anymore when we talked to our players. So it was power right, power left, just as an example. You know, we went to, to words instead of numbers. 
but we found, you know, that would be coming up in our meetings and we didn't want something where all of a sudden we're talking about something different to our players in the meeting and they're saying, what, what's going on here? I don't understand that. So I think that's a very valid point that you bring up uh, about the coaches. And then I think the other thing that really comes through is, you know, you guys are taking advantage of technology to get this done. And, you know, back when, uh, before Huddle came out, I had all kinds of hacks to try to get things to my players digitally and to quiz them and we were probably using five or six different pieces of technology which we found an efficient workflow but it was probably more for harder on the on the coaches than it was and eventually I got to using something like just play which was a tremendous it still is a tremendous system where everything was in there so back in that regard we were more of a visual team and signal team and we would want to teach the players the name of the plays But at the same time, we knew that the most of what they were going to see was the signals. So right in our playbook, we would put those signals, right? It could be like a just play. It could be a little video. Today, you could video and turn it into a GIF file and put it in a, a PowerPoint, whatever. I think you could be very creative with those things. But whatever that is going to be to the players, I think you have to be very cognizant and uh, make sure that that's if that's what it's going to look like to them as the play is called in, whether that's signals or the words or colors or whatever it might be, that you try to reflect that in the, the materials they learn from. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, it's pretty funny, actually. Our We had a senior backup quarterback this year on the offensive side of the ball that in the JV games, he would get fired up when the quarterback signalers would not signal it the way that we we're supposed to signal it because he knew how important it was because he'd been signaling for, you know, two years for us that every receiver sees, you know, the four vert signal and it's the same every time. So it was pretty interesting that our players kind of handled that part of the culture here. And they understand that, Hey, if one, if you signal four verts differently and the other side of the field runs hooked, this might be a pick six. Um, So I thought that was pretty interesting that uh, Eric Morris, our, our senior QB, had taken upon himself to really take pride in that this is how the signal is and it should look like this every single time. Coach, I got one more thing I want to ask you about here. You mentioned an audio playbook. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah, so essentially we, we do our playbook on Vizio. I've created it. Our GAs are able to go in and we teach them that just because a lot of Division One schools are on that and that's a good tool if you want to coach Division One football to learn Vizio. Um, it's quite the process. I didn't know anything about it before I came to Rose, uh, but Coach White, my mentor here on the offensive side of the ball, uh, I drew many blitzes on Vizio and uh, had to print them out and uh, had to be super detailed. So now when I became the D coordinator on this side of the ball that uh, we continue to use it. So we'll take those video pictures, we'll upload it into Huddle um, as like a presentation now. And essentially what I do is I have this other program called Screencast-O-Matic. It screen captures, you could use Zoom. There's a lot of different technologies out here, but that's just what we had used. And I will go through each play, a page of the playbook and the screen capture grabs the image. Um, it would grab the film if we had the film behind it. And then it's also me talking. So we're essentially then saving that file, and then I will upload it back to Huddle, and then our kids across the country can log in and they can look at our playbook. Uh, most of the kids now on their phone have the Huddle app. They'll look on our playbook, and then they have uh, turn the audio on, and they'll hear me talking about because so much for us is word association, and you have no one teaching that skill to the kid. I think it's tough. You just see a playbook and it says Falcon Bike, um, Tennessee that means nothing to that kid. He needs you to explain to him what Falcon means, why the reason Falcon was, what bike means, why is it called bike, why is it four letters, why is everyone ending up here, and then just what tells everyone in Tennessee to do everything. So those are things that we've done. Um, and then once I've had all that, um, like say a certain page for us, Falcon, um, I'll talk about Falcon, and then I wanna do a different install We'll just cut that, and Falcon audio clip will be its own little file in our playbook, and maybe we initially thought we were going to install it in install one. I'll take it from install one, and I'll throw it to install five. So those are things that we've done um, to kind of go around. I think Huddle used to have the audio notes, so that's what kind of got us started. And um, we, we've worked around, found, find a way. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is a small 
you know, college coach, you know, or any, you know, coach out there that if you don't have a huge budget, find a way to make your players better. Um, and, and I think right now is a great time with everything going on in the world. Um, you can reflect on everything you do and then figure out how to get technology involved in what you do. Um, because we're bringing in a class of, you know, 30 to 40 engineers right now. Um, and I'm going to have to get them the playbook at some point. And, uh, you know, who knows what's going on with spring practices across the country. So my current players need to know things we've changed for when we start up in the fall. Yeah, that that's exactly it. And we use that hit hack as well, which is a lot of, you know, flip learning is where the idea I think originated from, at least for me and what teachers were doing in the classroom and essentially assigning things that were more presentation in video form, right? But one of the limitations of huddle uh, presentations at the time was that there, was, there wasn't the audio. So you could upload your slides, but you need the audio along with it. And I would use that exact app, Screencast-O-Matic, or I would use QuickTime on, on my Mac and record what was going on with the, the screen. And short videos, you know, I, I recommend... Uh, you don't make these long dissertations. Kids just don't listen that long. You know, try to limit uh, whatever part of it to three minutes. And, you know, the best part is that stuff you would normally do, you know, in a classroom setting. You're telling these guys, come prepared, know this stuff, be ready to go. They could do that right on their phone. And, and the phone is the key. If you're doing something that can't be on the phone, probably not going to be a high rate of, of uh, consumption there. You're going to have to really press them to do it. But, the phone being the key and the audio too, because you're hitting all learning styles. I think that's a, that's an important part of it regardless. So huge opportunities, as you said, right now at this time to get some of those materials together. No, I, one kid I wanted to rip one time because he was on a cell phone. I'm like, what are you texting? He's like, no coach, I'm just looking at the, the playbook because it's easier for me to you know, see on my phone than it is on the screen. Now, I don't know if that was true. Maybe the kid just had a really good reaction, but I trust the kid. He's a, you know, a 30 ACT 4.0 kid that he learned best from looking at his phone. So I think in some regards, uh, you got to use technology to your advantage nowadays. Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time here for our listeners in both of these hours we've done with Coach. So two hours now, uh, a lot of detail. And I was talking to Coach and uh, especially now with this time and having a little bit of time, we are doing a series of webinars here of a coaching coordinator. And so Coach has agreed to come back on and share some of these things and give you the visuals as well. So you will have a visual piece to this as well uh, to so- help solidify some of these ideas. So Coach, I appreciate you taking the time again here on the podcast, and I look forward to talking about this again on the webinar. Super excited. A lot of people reached out me or reached out on the, the first part, and I sent out you know as much information as as I could. You know, some guy in, in Virginia is kind of overhauling their whole defense and is going to a similar structure. So that's pretty exciting when I'm getting texts from him being like, "Hey, what do you call this?" And I send it back to him. He's like, "Yep, that makes sense. That that's what I thought you would call that." So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, if anyone would love to reach out to me. Um, you can follow me. I kind of did like a little rebranding because I used to be at spread defense and no one knew that I was coach Nick Davis. So I'd go to clinics and people would be like, Oh, I've never heard of you, Nick Davis, but I follow this guy spread defense. That's very similar. So uh, a little bit of rebranding because people didn't know actually who I was. So now on Twitter, I'm at coach Nick Davis. And then we have kind of a, uh, at spread defense that is more geared towards a lot more film and only really football things. At Coach Nick Davis, you're going to get some recruiting things about how we're a great engineering school, but you're also going to get some different football. Um, I think I have it turned off that I don't get direct messages to the at spread defense, but um, at my at Coach Nick Davis, you're able to direct message me. The best would probably to shoot me an email just because I'm getting uh, 50 DMs a day from recruits, so I don't want to miss your information. So I'm uh, at Rose Holman, or excuse me, my email is davis5 at rose-holman.eu. That's the safest way, and I will get back to you, I promise. If you Twitter DM me and it gets lost in the shuffle, I'm not trying to ignore you. My email is the best way to make sure. I wish Twitter had a better search feature than what it does. Well, Coach, we look forward to that, and we will be talking to you again soon. Sounds good. 
Coaches, again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond what you've already done. Check it out, all of our, our program development for youth football at fdm.usafootball.com. Again, check out our systems for blocking, tackling, and defeating blocks at footballdevelopment.com. If you register with your email, you get your choice of three free videos. There's some great things in there. I think things that as you get going again, you can get into the summer and maybe make up on some things that you might have lost if you had a spring ball, if you had time here in the spring to work on football. Some great drills for all those phases of contact. If you're enjoying the podcast, please have it over to iTunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week. Thanks for listening to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast. For more resources, visit the Coach Performance Center at usafootball.com.